0: Lord. God, this time of worship that we've experienced thus far, God, we do pray in the next minutes as we examine your word, as we listen through the words of Matthew from you, what we need to see about who you are and how we need to respond. God, many different decisions need to be made this morning in this room. I pray you'll give us the courage to do whatever it is that you're calling us to do. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. How many of you have ever seen a baby before? Most everybody's seen a baby before. And when you look at that baby, especially if it was your baby or your grandbaby or somebody's kid you knew and you're close to, you look at that baby and you wonder, what is this baby going to be? True? True this is going to be the next president of the United States, or are they going to be a multi-billionaire so I can retire early? Are they going to be uh, a famous professional athlete? We wonder oftentimes what's going to become who they will be, uh, that child. And the best we can do is pray for them, and then we speculate about what may happen. Well, in Matthew chapter 1, we see this morning, this was completely different with Joseph and Mary. In fact, before they ever had that Jesus was born, they'd been told by God who this baby was, who he was going to be, and who he will be forever. So we're in Matthew chapter one. I want us to begin reading in verse twenty one through twenty three to give us a little background. It says it says this she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I want to share with you two things this morning about who this baby was. And again, who he is today and who he will be forever When Jesus Christ was born, right from the get-go, he was God in the flesh. He was God made human. Now, this is such a profound uh, and and significant and important thing. Look with me again in verse 23. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah chapter Seven, verse fourteen, it says, "Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign: the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel." They will call him Emmanuel. Now, let me give you a little some thoughts on this verse. One, the virgin, when it says the virgin will be with child, this word virgin just to be very direct and plain, literally means a person who has never had sexual intercourse. It's a person who's never had any kind of sexual relationship at all. (gasps) Preacher, why are you saying that in church? Because you need to hear that. This just wasn't a pure lady or a good lady. This was a person who miraculously had a child. There has never been a child in the history of the world that was born to a virgin before this. And there never will be, again, in the history of the world... After this, you know who Larry King is? Larry King, live, the, uh, this famous suspender guy. Larry King is, a, is an agnostic. An agnostic says they don't know if there's a God. Maybe there is, maybe there's not. They, they're not going to declare there's not like an atheist. They're not going to say there is like someone who believes in a God. But Larry King made the statement one time that if the virgin birth is true, he could buy into the rest of it. Well, I wish Larry would read Matthew 1 and he would buy into it, but Larry King was very correct on that because if the virgin birth is true, do you realize the miracle of a woman who has never been with a man in an intimate way having a child? That does not happen. That is a pure miracle. I'll give Larry King an A for that understanding. Jesus was born of a literal virgin, and it says here they will call him Emmanuel. This was a Hebrew term. And if you notice, if you've ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John or the rest of the New Testament, never is Jesus called Emmanuel. Never they say, Hey, Emmanuel, bring, you know, bring your fishing pole or your hammer and come over here and let's work on the barn and, and catch some catfish. You don't hear that. Emmanuel was a descriptive title. It described who he was. Like someone who's six foot five and 140 pounds, you might call him slim. That's not their name. It's a descriptive title. Someone five foot five, four hundred and fifty-five, you might call them healthy, uh, or, or whatever. You know, that wouldn't be their name, but that's a description of who they were. Here he's telling us that Jesus Christ didn't become God. Jesus Christ was God from the beginning. And John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word's Jesus here. And the Word was with God and the Word, read that last part with me, and the Word was God. There is a, uh, an offshoot non-Christian religious group that does not believe Jesus Christ is God. And they actually translated their own version of the Bible. And on this verse here at the very end, they translate, and the word was a small g-o-d. The word was a God. Listen, Jesus wasn't a God. Jesus Christ is God. In in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory and the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace. Theologians call this a theanthropos. That's a fancy way of saying that you have a union of the divine and the human, a, a union of divinity and humanity in Jesus Christ. There was a Greek poet, who was a contemporary of Jesus named Virgil. And Virgil, looking at the plight of the world in his day, said, we need to have a virgin-born, a miraculous-born baby who is half God and half man to save us. And Virgil was half right. We got a virgin-born baby, but he was not half God and half man. He was 100% God coming 100% as man. Can we understand that intellectually? Absolutely not. But I tell you this morning, no matter how smart you are, there is something you accept but you don't understand intellectually. That's just the truth. I love it in John chapter 14. Jesus' own followers, one of his disciples, Philip, made a comment. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Guys, you want to know what God the Father looks like? Read your New Testament. Because when you look at Jesus Christ, you're looking at God In Colossians 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of, over all of creation. Now, again, we don't understand this. We can't intellectually grasp this. The Bible says we have one God, and He's made Himself known in three ways, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but one God. And, and we can't intellectually get our arms around that Jesus Christ is God, and He's the Son of God. And he came to earth 100% man. And when you pinched him, he would have said, ow. And when the sermon got boring, he might have nodded a little. I don't know. He would have have stayed with it, wouldn't he? Think about that when you get sleepy in a minute. But Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man. Again, in chapter 1, verse 23, when it says, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Folks, it's a little preposition, that word with, but here's what it means. It means someone is amongst us. It means someone has decided to accompany us on the journey. It implies companionship. Get the picture here. When the baby was born, who was this baby from the get-go? He was God. And a big, big part of Christmas is about God looking down and saying, I'm going to become one of them because I love them. How many of you have some problems, and whether you would admit it to anybody else today, you go, man, I wish God was here. (laughs) You ever feel that way? You know, you might be in the ICU three days from now, and I promise you, if the pain's great enough, what you're going to be calling out for is drug, medicine, and God. Pain, medicine, and God. 1990, there was a a famous song. Some of you are too young to remember it. Some of you remember it by Bette Midler, From a Distance. How many of you remember that song? I sang it in the early service. My voice is a little strained, so I won't try to sing it all now. But From a Distance. And, you know, it's a neat song. It's a pretty song. and, And basically, she's saying, God is watching us, but from afar. God is like that that coach or that policeman that's sitting up on the hill. They see what's going on, but it's from a distance. And during the Gulf War, the first war we went into to run Iraq out of Kuwait in 1990, this was the most popular song among American soldiers over in the Gulf region. You know why I think it was? Because when you're having people shoot bullets at you, you want to know God's involved. Bet's song was good, but it missed a huge mark. The whole thing about Christmas is not about God watching us from a distance. It's about God getting in the middle of us. And remember when Jesus went back to heaven, one of the things he told the guys, he said, Look... You've had me, but when I go, I'm going to send one just like me, the Holy Spirit, who's going to come live inside of you. The Holy Spirit is God. So if you're a Christian, you know what? Because of Christmas, you have God in you today. We don't have God at a distance. We got God in the middle of us. Now, I know most of us have drowned that out. We've ignored it. We don't pay attention to it. But maybe today's a good day to turn our hearts back to that. Christmas is about God saying, I love you enough. I'm going to become one of you to understand you, and you can know how I do understand you. There was a man named John Howard Griffin in the 1950s. Well, look at his picture, because that's going to be important in just a moment. A white man who decided he wanted to know the plight of black people in the South in the 50s and 60s. And as you know and I know, that would have been a tough time to be an African-American in the southern part of the country. We can deny that, but that's the truth. And a lot of people were sympathetic, but John Howard Griffin said, I want to know what it's like to be a black man in the 50s, in the South. So he began to take medication, began to use ultraviolet some types of lamps i guess we'd call them tanning beds now and even dyeing his skin and his hair and over a series of couple of months he literally made himself outwardly black and then he went through the south to many different cities and villages to experience what life was like as a black man and he wrote a book entitled black like me about his experience that's extremely interesting and intriguing to me. Don't you think you would understand people better if you did that? If you're black, you can make yourself white, or you're white, you make yourself black, or, or Chinese, or Asian, whatever. Would you not have a better understanding of the, uh, of the other person's plot? Absolutely. That's exactly what God did. God said, I want to relate to them more, far more for us than for him. He understands us, but God said, I want them to know that I do understand them. And Christmas is about God becoming one of us to live in the midst of us because he loves us. That's pretty awesome stuff, isn't it? But it doesn't end there. Not only is he God in the midst of us, but this baby is our Savior. He's our Savior. Now, think about this. If you're God, you can write the rules, correct? I mean, you make the stuff, you can do with it what you want. You agree? You agree? So he decides to become one of us. Couldn't he decide to become one of us just to come down here and rough us up? To say, hey, i spent 30 years with those people. They're idiots. Let's get rid of them. No <laughs> so did. In verse 21, we see, we see the reason that he became God in our midst. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now, most Jewish people in this time, they name their son, especially their first son, after Daddy, so Clayton 's son instead of being Caleb would be Clayton number eighteen or whatever after your great granddaddies and you and on down the line, but no, the angel said, God is saying, your son is to be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek for the the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua was a prominent Old Testament name and Joshua literally means Yahweh saves. And Jesus' name literally means God saves. And it says, He said, I will save His people. He will save His people. Now, the Jewish people thought 2,000 years ago, that was talking just about them. He's going to come save us as Jewish people. But you and I have the perspective to know the whole New Testament that His people meant anybody, you and me that would follow him. How many of you here this morning are Jewish by nationality and birth? It's pretty good that his people's expanded, amen? He said, I've come to save all people that will turn to me and follow me. What did he mean by save us? Chances are you and I have misinterpreted this and misunderstood it to some degree. They missed it completely. Most of them did 2,000 years ago. They were looking for a political savior. They were looking for somebody to come in and save them from the tyranny of Rome. To put Israel back on the map as a milit- political and military power. And Jesus said, that's not why I am coming to save you. Jesus said, I'm coming to save you for a far greater danger and for far better reasons. That biblical word save is a great word. It, it can mean temporal deliverance but its primary meaning and its meaning here is a spiritual deliverance it means God wants to come into your life and my life into our world and to deliver us or rescue us from danger it's the idea of a person giving their life to Christ and being saved immediately for eternity It's also the idea of being made whole. My guess is this morning, we got a room full of people who need to be made whole in a lot of ways. You notice Jesus said, I came to save you from your sins. That word sin means to miss the mark. Now, here's what we do with sin. We compare ourselves with other people, correct? Correct. How many of you can find somebody at junior high, high school, or in your world that you are better than? Or, okay, let me change that. That's worse than you. Oh, come on. Raise your hand. Either you guys are really bad, which is great. That'll make this sermon easier to preach in a minute. You can't. You can find somebody who does worse things, whose lifestyle's more immoral, flagrant, and, and we find comfort in that, don't we? Well, I've got my issues, but boy, look at my sister. Or look at my brother. Or look at my wife or my husband. He's an idiot. But see, God says when you miss the mark, you miss the mark, correct? How many of you have ever played basketball a little bit? You know what an air ball is? How many of you have ever shot an air ball? Raise your hands, young people. Every one of you have. An air ball is when you shoot, and that's all you hit is air. You don't hit net. You don't hit rim. You don't hit backboard. It's the most embarrassing shot there is, correct? How many points do you get for an air ball? Nada. Zero. Okay, how many of you ever shot the ball, and it it hit the rim, and it rolled around the rim? It seemed like it rolled around the rim 10 times, and then it rolled out. That ever happened to you? horribly frustrating, isn't it? How many points you get for that? Zero, nada. You say, well, I am more moral and I am more spiritual than that Methodist I know. You still miss the mark. By the way, they're saying the same thing about you at the Methodist church this morning, or me. And we can't save ourselves. Is this salvation about being saved from hell? Absolutely. Some of you are going, "Well, I've been saved from hell." This is—I don't need to hear this sermon. It's far greater than that. It's saved from the sin that ruins our lives. I had a professor in graduate school named Tom Miggs, and Doctor Miggs was was a highly trained preacher, but he was also a highly trained psychologist. He'd done a lot of counseling. And I remember him telling us, he said, so much of my counseling, I'm dealing with the fruit of sin. No, he said, certainly not all depression, anxiety, things, we, problems we have are a result of sin. But he said, a lot of it is. He said, I sit in a room with a couple and they're brokenhearted because he had an affair. You can call it what you want. That's sin. That's sin. I'm dealing with two young people who aren't married and who have sexually got themselves in a mess. You can call it what you want, but it's sin. I'm dealing with a, a young man or a young woman who is struggling with homosexuality, and, and you can call it what you want, but it's sin. And I've got a husband who's verbally abusive to his wife, and he blames it on his grandmother, and he blames it on his wife, but it's sin. And I've got a guy that's about to get fired or a lady's about to get fired because they keep showing up late and they can't get along with people and they blame it on everybody else, but it's sin. And you can't save yourself. Can you? It's not in you. You got a GED or a PhD, let me tell you something. You can't save yourself. You got a million dollars in the bank. See me after church. We need to talk. Some tithe issues. Because you ain't been tithing lately. You got $10 in the bank. You can't save yourself. I read an article this week. I, I called Dr. Blackwelder about it. It was about a stem cell research. And, you know, some of the stem cell stuff you hear, master cell stuff, is it's not good stuff. It's, you know, from fetuses or or aborted babies, horrible stuff. But, but this was a company several years ago called Smart Sales International that was, was wanting you to buy a, an extended Christmas gift for your newborn baby. What they do was, or what they were proposing to do, was take stem cells from the umbilical cord. Take them and freeze them. So mom and baby are fine. They live. Ethical, nothing, nothing horrible or more about that. And what they, they even were honest enough to say, we're not sure that this will work. Dr. Blackwater said he didn't know if it would work either. But they, they store those cells. I'm guessing you freeze them. You always freeze something if you don't know what to do with it, don't you? I think Larry King said he wanted to be frozen. Thaw him out in 50 years and hope his suspenders are still in style, I guess. But here's what they were saying. Okay, you do that for your baby, and 30 years from now, your baby has diabetes or has heart condition. Possibly those smart cells can be injected in there and bring healing to your child. And I began to cry when I was talking to Dr. Blackwater. He said, why are you crying? He said, I wish my parents would have done that with my hair. Some of you men, you feel the same way, man. You're struggling. You're follically challenged. And if your parents would have been smart enough to steal something from the umbilical cord and to plug it back in, we'd be okay today, amen? But they didn't. The body may have some ability like that to heal itself. You don't have that in yourself to save yourself. See, Jesus did not come to teach you how to save yourself. Did you get that? Jesus didn't come to say, Eric, Follow me and you'll learn how to save yourself. He said, I've come to save you. Jesus didn't come to say, I want to simply make you better. Jesus said, I want to come to save you not only from hell, but from yourself. You see, some of us are Christians today and we're going to heaven. That's great, isn't it? There's not a person in hell today saying, boy, I'm glad I'm not in heaven. True? True. I was somewhere the other day, and, and it was in our gym here in the church yesterday, and it was cold, and, and and one of the guys said, you know what, there ain't a person in hell saying today it's too cold. Uh, bad grammar, but great theology. <laughs> Some of you are saved from hell today. You have a relationship with Christ. You don't need to be re-saved. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it more abundantly. In other words, Jesus said, I didn't come just to save you. You're baptized, you write it on the books. I came to give you a better life today. Some of us have marriages that are in trouble. And if Jesus doesn't get in the middle of them, they may not be saved. Some of us got some ethical, moral things going on that if we don't repent and let Jesus come in there like He wants to and deliver us from that sin or those problems we're going to be in trouble. You see, as a Christian, you can end up in heaven and have lived a wasted and ruined life here on this earth. Isn't that sad? Doesn't have to be that way. Because Jesus said, I'm going to come from heaven to earth to get in the middle of those people because I love them. John 3.17 doesn't get much play in the Bible because John 3.16 is the pretty sister. (laughs) What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world. (laughs) We're speaking in tongues this morning. (laughs) Well, that was very weak, but semi-good, semi-good. Now, it's on the screen, so you can cheat, but how many of you would have known what John 3.17 said? I've got, got several. Wonderful. Look what it says. God did not send his son into the world. Jesus did not come as God in the flesh in the world, read that with me, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Three times in this little verse, the word world is used. You know what the word world means? It means the sum total of individuals. Do you get that? How many of you are part of the sum total of individuals? You may be odd, but you're part of it. There's odd parts of the body, correct? God says, listen, I left heaven to come to earth not to condemn you, not to beat you down, not to leave you as an orphan, not to let you live a frustrated and ruined life. I came from heaven to earth to rescue you. Some of us need rescued today. we got family members and friends who need to be rescued, and Jesus Christ is the answer. Martin Luther was a great Bible scholar and writer in the 1500s. And Martin Luther said about this, he said, Jesus Christ loves people. Jesus Christ loves sinners. Jesus Christ left heaven to come to earth to get in the midst of us to save the worst of us. Did you get that? He came from heaven to earth to get in the midst of us to love and to save all of us. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? I read a story several years ago, a pastor named Leith Anderson. I think he's retired, but he pastored for many years in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And he went on a mission trip to Manila. And while he was on this mission trip, the pastor he was working with asked him, is they were driving around, he goes, I, I, I'm going to take you, if you don't mind, to a local garbage dump. How many of you have ever been on a mission trip? How many of you have ever asked the local pastor, we would love to see the garbage dump here in town? When you moved to Ruston, did you ask the realtor, drive me by the dump? No. So what does Leith Anderson say? What anybody says when they're on a mission trip, whatever you want us to do, we'll be happy to do. They drive and they see this huge garbage dump. Then they get out and they begin to look around. And you know what he sees? Thousands and thousands of people who live on the garbage dump. Houses. Now, shacks at the very best, shanties all over the place. Kids get up every morning and go look for food from other people's garbage there on the dump. And the story gets more incredible. Leith Anderson found out that there are people who were born on the garbage dump, who grew up on the garbage dump, who got married on the garbage dump. Think you had a bad marriage. Raised their kids and died and were buried. On the garbage dump. Is that incredible? That's not even the most incredible part of the story. Then Leith Anderson met missionaries from America who left their homes here and went to Manila, built a home on the garbage dump, to live on the garbage dump, to reach those in the midst of the garbage you know, pretty big deal to leave your home here and go to Manila, period. I think I would I would rather live in a nice suburb and drive to the dump every day, wouldn't you? So if we're going to reach the people, we've got to go live in the middle of the people. And folks, earth is not a garbage dump, but I think someday when we get to heaven and the Bible says the streets are gold, when the pavement is gold, we're going to look back and realize this was pretty shabby, aren't we? And in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Jesus Christ, being equal with God, didn't lose any of his godness, but he left his rights and privileges of God to come to earth, to be born in a barn, to be raised by peasants, and to die a horrible death in the midst of us, To reach us. That puts a pretty picture on the baby Jesus, doesn't it? Let's pray. You know, those of us who are Christians this morning, I I think this, this Scripture gives us some real things to think about. And some real things we need to respond to in a few minutes. If if you're not a Christian, today is the day to give your life to Christ. Maybe you're you're unsure. Why don't you just pray with me where you're seated and say to God, just say, God, I'm a sinner and I want to turn from my sins. I believe, Jesus, that you are God's Son who who died for me. And I ask you today to come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. Let me have your attention just for a moment. Just a second, we're going to stand and to challenge you to respond to what God said to you today. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart, or maybe you're ready to do that. Let Him save you today. It may be hard. Ask a family member or friend to come with you, but you come today. Talk to a minister. Settle that ultimate question today. Maybe today is the day that you'd like to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. One way you can do that in a moment is by just stepping out and coming. Let one of our ministers help you. You can join our church family today. Why don't you do that today? But certainly every person here, too, who is a Christian, we need to make a decision, a fresh decision, to embrace and to praise and to celebrate that our God loved us enough to come get in the middle of us. Maybe it's a family member or a friend or maybe it's you today where there needs to be some repentance. There needs to be some turning back to God to let Him rescue you before you head off that cliff. Let's stand. Just bow your heads. As God leads you this morning, respond to it. I want you just to think that if God loved you enough to leave heaven to earth to reach you, isn't it worth this morning reaching back out to Him? He's extending His hand to you and me this morning. Will you reach out and take it? seated just for a moment. If you have a bulletin, there is a little card attached. tax. Would you take a moment and, and tear that card out at this time? If you don't have a bulletin in the envelope rack in front of you is a very similar card, would you take a moment and put your name on it? If you are a first-time guest today or maybe have new personal info, if you'd fill out that personal info, and we will not visit you unless you request that. And then look to the bottom or the back of the card you have. There's a place to record a decision. Maybe this morning you asked Christ into your heart, or maybe today you're making a recommitment of your life. Maybe you have a prayer need or, or would like a visit. Check or fill out whatever would apply to you. In just a moment, when we get uh, past the offering plate, you can just drop it in there. Brandon's going to pray for our offering at this time. Join me as we pray for our offering. Dear Lord God, how amazing you are. God, how amazing you are of everything that you've given us. Today we were reminded of what you've done for us and how you've saved us. God, in everything.